We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays, because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void or prohibited. Welcome to a special off-season edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Rotowire's James Anderson. We'll be talking NBA draft on this podcast, free agency uh, in the NBA set to start uh, a little over 48 hours from now, uh, midnight, Thursday night, slash Friday morning, depending on how you want to look at that. But we'll focus mostly on the NBA draft in this podcast. James, what did you do for the draft last Thursday? Well, I did a lot of the uh, pre-draft writing for uh, NBA.com and a deal we have for mm-hmm. them uh, all before the draft. We had some other people kind of handling stuff as it was happening for the site. So I was able to just kind of sit back with, with a buddy and watch it uh, from the comfort of my couch, which is the preferred way to, to watch it, in my opinion. It definitely is. I was at the draft in uh, 
in Brooklyn and obviously very cool to be there. I'd never been to New York before, hadn't been to the draft before. Uh, but I did kind of find myself wishing I had the telecast, you know, because where the writers sit on the floor or what would be the floor, I guess, um, if you were at a Nets game, you know, right, basically right under the Jumbotron, uh, the set for the ESPN broadcast is right behind. So you can see all the players go up and get interviewed, but you obviously can't hear what they're saying. You know, there's people all over the place making sure you're not walking in the back of the mm-hmm. shot or anything like that. So, you know, not that there's a ton of key information being divulged in those post-draft interviews, but, uh, you know, you really can't hear much of what's going on other than, you know, when Commissioner Silver is up on the stage. So I did miss the telecast a little bit, but of course can't complain about being in New York. Yeah, no, I mean, that that sounded kind of cool. I saw you uh, sneak onto the TV. I did. Uh, once, maybe <laughs> twice. I Well, I was sitting right behind Wade Baldwin's table. Uh, so him, his parents, and it seemed like everybody was was given like a plus eight. You know, even you see the tables, it's mm-hmm. obviously parents, siblings, some friends, uh, a lot of college coaches were there, um, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of saw. It, w- w- one thing about being there that was cool is that you could kind of tell uh, who was going to get picked, you know, during a commercial break. So you mm-hmm. know, there's a ton of commercial breaks during the telecast, and you know, Woj being Woj kind of eliminates the suspense of this because the picks were basically out already. But being there, you get to see all the ESPN camera crews kind of surround a table, you know, when there's maybe two minutes left on the pick clock. So, you know, I could kind of tell, oh, Wade Baldwin must be getting picked here. They wouldn't be surrounding with all these cameras. So, yeah, I told a couple of my friends, like, yeah, I might get on TV here. And apparently uh, the camera captured me wiping my nose on my sleeve, <laughs> which I still deny. I don't know. I haven't gone so, back and watched the telecast. but Well, okay, so th- this is, I think, one of the moments of the draft that was ESPN probably liked in terms of replaying the highlight was, like, Denzel Valentine's reaction to getting drafted. Yeah. And it's like... He knew he was getting drafted. That was right. very rehearsed. Like it's that wasn't a oh you're catching this guy, finding out about it for the first time. Like he was doing that like for the sake of the cameras, right? You mean just you know I think he he gave a bunch of hugs. You know, well, like he did like a big like I think he did like a big fist pump right, or something yeah. like that, and like showed a lot of yeah. emotion. I mean, I, obviously they know at the bare minimum minutes in advance, right? Right. You, know, you get the call from the team typically, but. I don't know. I think some of it is, you know, getting that call is one thing, but actually hearing your name getting called, I think, you know, carries mm-hmm. some weight too. So I don't know. I have a hard time believing that he, he like rehearsed this. No, reaction. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just saying like he knew the cameras were on. Oh, right. He already knew he had yeah. been drafted by I the do, Bulls. That wasn't a like, right. oh, holy crap, I just got drafted by right. the Bulls like reaction. Like he already yeah. like, knew it. Like No, that's true. I do wonder if they tell them, you know, Act like you act like you just found out about this. I'm, I don't I'm know. I'm sure nobody th- was complaining. I've never been drafted. Have you ever been drafted? <laughs> uh, t- it's tough for us to speculate no. what the reaction might be. I mean, I I've, I've, been, I've drafted been drafted in like captains, like on the yeah. on the field. You know, I'd, I mean, I'm, we might have gone in the MLB <laughs> draft. I don't know. There's so many rounds you lose. I've never been drafted in the NBA. Um, but top two picks: Ben Simmons to Philly. Uh, side note: Barclays seemed like it was 90% Sixers fans. I don't know how it sounded on TV, but with the Knicks not having a pick. Uh, and the Nets not having one until that morning. Mm-hmm. I think they traded uh, for Thad Young. There really weren't many Brooklyn fans there. There were almost no Knicks fans. Did see a few Porzingis jerseys, but a ton of Sixers gear. I saw a Lavoy Allen Sixers jersey. I saw a Corey Maggette McDonald's All-American jersey, which was probably the number one jersey I saw nice. of the entire week in New York, which is saying a lot. Um, but those top two picks, Ben Simmons to Philly, Brandon Ingram to L.A., that's exactly what, he, what we expected. Then Jalen Brown goes three to Boston, not a crazy shock. I mean, I think we've talked before that Brown, Bender, Dunn, Heald, Murray, and Chris are kind of in their own tier. 
and those six could go in just about any order and it wouldn't be that surprising. But I think there was still a little bit of shock that that it was Jalen Brown, you know, with guys like Chris Dunn and, and Jamal Murray on the board as as guys that I at least see as having more star potential. You know, I, th- I think Brown has as much probably more upside than both of those guys. And in, in my mind, I just think he's a, a much bigger uh, risk in terms of uh, being a bust. I think if they were going to go the the non-guard route, I would have gone Dragon Bender there. I, I kind of thought, like, the more I kind of thought about this draft leading up to it, I thought there was a clear top two in, in Simmons, Ingram, and I thought there was a clear next two in Bender and Jamal Murray, at least from my standpoint, that that's how, I mean, if I was picking in the top four, I would have walked away with either Murray or Bender. Uh, that said, Brown's upside is, is through the roof. I mean, he's a crazy athlete. He's, he's got NBA size already. He can guard theoretically he can guard three positions. So I get it. I mean, if you, if you watch enough Jalen Brown and you fall in love with him and you believe that you can turn him into an adequate three point shooter, then at, at number three, I don't see any problem with him being the, the top guy on your board there. Um, but I, I think for anyone to think that it was a slam dunk, that it was going to be, you know, any of those those six players in the, in the three to eight range was was kind of talk, talking themselves into a reality that doesn't really exist. I mean, those those six players, I think, could be interchangeable depending on who had that pick. And yeah, I wasn't that surprised. I just think that it's it surprised a lot of people because I don't I don't think many people had that on their their mock draft. And Boston was in such a tough spot. I mean, not so covertly trying to move that pick um, in the days leading up to the draft. Basically, trying to move that pick in the seconds leading up to it. Um, you know, we saw the Jimmy Butler rumors. They, I don't know if rumors is even the right word to to describe the Chris Middleton uh, talk that that kind of preceded the draft of uh, Boston reportedly having interest in him. I don't think Milwaukee. Uh, was shopping Chris Middleton by any means. But it was no secret that Boston was looking to leverage this number three pick, uh, possibly some other assets and certainly some other picks in this draft to try to grab an established superstar. Obviously, they weren't able to do that. Do you see them just going forward with Jalen Brown you know, as this number three pick as the season approaches? Or do you think there's still a chance that he could maybe be traded uh, you know, this offseason in, in a package for a superstar? I don't. I mean, I think they'd be open to including him in a package, sure. but I think if there was some team that really liked Jalen Brown, they probably wouldn't have been able to trade up and, and get him there. I think they're obviously going to be looking to acquire that superstar. I think every single person on that roster is available in trade talks. I just don't I don't know where the trade is. I think, I the think fact- they're available, but they might not be available together. You know, It seems they're willing to part with three uh 16 23 and you know either Crowder or Bradley but I think a lot of teams wanted both of those guys or you could th- probably throw Marcus Smart into I mean group too. anyone I think that any kind of combination was available for the right guy like if, if Blake Griffin's on the yeah. board I think any combination of those guys is available I think if you know if, t- to me like the whole Cavs winning the finals thing is is a big kind of wrench in in this whole thing because I think a, a Kevin Love trade made a ton of sense and, and still kind of does make a ton of sense for both sides, but I don't know if Cleveland's going to be in any hurry to, to shake anything up on that roster after winning the finals. And when you look at the other superstars, uh, you know, they, they might have to uh, – the, the Clippers might have to trade – 
Blake Griffin and the the tiny scenario where Kevin Durant goes there, the fact that he's meeting with them, I guess, means that there's at least like a one percent chance that he would go there. But uh, other than that, I think it it's kind of sounding like the Bulls are set with keeping Jimmy Butler now that they got Derrick Rose out of the way. Uh, doesn't seem like the Kings are going to trade Demarcus Cousins until at least midseason, and you know after that, it's kind of hard to envision a, the superstar that they're going to be able to trade for. Yeah, and when the thing is, if they do view Brown, whether it's now or down the road, as a as a potential trade chip, I think he's the type of player that you could sell to just about any team. You know, if if you take Chris Dunn there with the intent of of kind of holding him hostage as a trade chip, you might be trying to work a deal with a team that already has a point guard and really you know doesn't have a strong interest in a guy like Chris Dunn. There's always a need for guys like Jalen Brown, strong physical wing defenders, uh, guys who can slot in with just about any team. So I don't know. I mean, we're speculating. Uh, maybe I'm speculating a little too much uh, as to what Boston wants to do with that pick, but I don't know. It's just hard for me to see Jalen Brown being a big time impact player for this team because he's I mean, just so similar to everybody that they already have on the wing. Well, I mean, there's there's a I don't know, like a five or ten percent chance that Jalen Brown becomes an All Star, in my opinion. Like, I mean, if he if he learns how to shoot, and uh, I think that the big thing with him is just kind of finding a role, yes. and and like embracing that role and having his skills developed to sort of fit that role. And and to me, that's just kind of a basically like an Andre Iguodala type of player. Uh, if he if he can kind of adapt his game to to fit a a specific role where he's confident in who he is and and what he's trying to do night to night I think there's a scenario where he becomes uh, you know a guy that could be a second or third best player on a a championship team and maybe that's just what Boston kind of came down to they're like well like we can't really get one of these guys without just trading everyone Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe rolling the dice on Browns our our best shot of getting a, a franchise player out of this with this third pick and next year they're they're gonna have right. another they're gonna have Brooklyn's pick and that that's when you could that's, probably land your your superstar. Yes, that's the, that's the thing. I think a lot of teams were asking for that 2017 Brooklyn pick and the way that Brooklyn's roster is now shaping up after they moved Thad Young, um, and the way the 2017 draft is shaping up. I don't I don't think Boston should have parted with that that no, 2017 no. pick at all. That that should be completely off the table unless you know. I mean, you would have to really be getting. I don't even know what that scenario would be. They can st- like things change so quickly like you know seven months from now a guy like DeMarcus Cousins could be on the table and some of their assets might look more appealing than they do right now and then you you get a top three pick from Brooklyn uh maybe a top two maybe maybe the number one overall pick and then you have your your foundation of the future right now I think they just they took the guy that was highest on their board so at number four Phoenix uh after the draft their GM um had basically said they were deciding between Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris at number four. They go Bender at four. They're able to trade back up into the top 10, get Chris at eight. Did you like what Phoenix did kind of doubling down with power forwards? Uh, yeah, I, I think that was, <laughs> I that was too. a big, a big night for them. Uh, big help, night for the Kings too. helps when you can have uh trade chip Bogdan Bogdanovich on, on the, the roster there to, to leverage. Is it Bogdan that, or Bojan? Bojan? I think it's Bojan. Uh, whatever. Right? Uh, it's it's apparently Ugh. trade chip. <laughs> by, by I read I read up on that guy and like he he could very well be like a sixth or seventh man in the NBA. But I mean I don't know I don't know what Sacramento was doing with that. Well, so when you have, you have Bender, who I I like a lot, at least like I th- I think 
his floor is a very, very competent starter, like not a star, but like, a, you know, a Serge Ibaka type of type of role player. Or, I mean, he's a role like a, an above average role player, I guess, that, that starts for you. And I feel like Chris's floor is is a complete bust. So yes. uh, but both of them have all star upside. So I think, you know, you kind of roll the dice. Maybe one of them maxes out. Maybe maybe you get, uh, you know, a solid 20, 25 minute a game. Uh, four runner stretch four type in Chris and you know Bender's your starting power forward I mean that, there's a lot of ways that this could play out but I definitely think it was a, a good night for the Suns yeah I think Chris is probably the riskiest of the top eight picks that, that goes without saying one of the riskier picks overall in this draft but they didn't have to give up anything really to take that risk you still get your guy at four in Bender all you give up is like you said Bogdanovich you give up number 13 which in this draft I think there just clearly wasn't there wasn't a ton of value in that range. And the fact that we saw guys like Lebissier and, and Deontay Davis falling down the board, no teams trading up to grab them. I think, I think that was the right move. They had to give up number 28 as well. That ended up being Lebissier, not a guy you and I are high on. I think, you know, you're more than happy to give up the combination of those two picks for a chance on Chris, a guy who I think we both think could be better than Scal long-term. But yeah, I think Phoenix was one of the big winners, probably one of the top three or four uh, winners overall. Five, Minnesota. This was, other than the Serge Ibaka trade, which we'll touch on when we get uh, outside of the top 10 to, to number 11, this was probably the biggest drama on draft night where for a while there it looked like Jimmy Butler was on his way to Minnesota. I believe it was Mark Stein was reporting that you know discussions had, had advanced into the advanced stage, whatever exactly that means. Um, and then it just kind of seemed like things fizzled out. The Wolves reportedly declined to send Levine and number five to Chicago for Butler. I think the general reaction to that was, you know, some head scratching uh, on the part of, of people who, who are fans of the Timberwolves. I kind of felt the same way. Are you that high on Zach Levine or, or uh, Chris Dunn at number five that you wouldn't want Jimmy Butler in return? I'm really high on Levine. I'm not, I would have had no issue giving up Dunn in that trade. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess, if you if you really like Levine, to me this is one of those where it could kind of look like the like the Clay Kevin Love one, like a couple years down the road, where everyone's just like, oh, why didn't you just do that for Jimmy Butler? And then maybe two years from now, everyone's just gonna be like, oh wait, yeah, uh, trading Levine would have been uh, a horrible trade in hindsight. Uh, so I mean, I think that they, I I don't I don't hate them not getting rid of him. I think that they're now just a really really deep team. I think Dunn fits into what what Thibodeau wants to do. I think that they now have some pieces that they have enough depth internally where they can uh, be open to to certain trades down the road, especially if if a couple more of these guys kind of develop on the course they're on. I think they're just in in really good shape whether they made that trade or not. That trade's going to be there too. You know, I think I don't think the Bulls are going to be very good this season. You know, barring something unforeseen happening in free agency. And do we know? Do we know that the Bulls are the ones that we don't. Do we know that the T Wolves are the ones that passed on that? That's what was being reported. Okay. But I mean, both sides kind of denied, denied, denied after the fact. You know, after at their post draft press conferences, the Bulls said, you know, they were they had no part in these negotiations at all, and the T Wolves, you know, just did the. No, we drafted Chris Dunn. We're going to play him and Rubio together. Can he play with Rubio? I mean, I think if I'm the Timberwolves, I'm looking to move Rubio this offseason. I mean, is there a scenario where they can play both? I mean, I don't see how you can start them both together. 
Yeah, so I would have taken Murray here for that reason. I think that you you kind of have very similar players in Dunn and Rubio where it it's fine if, if one of them is your, your worst shooter on the wing. Uh, but, yeah, having two of them out there together makes stretching the floor very difficult. Uh, I think they, I mean, they can play them together. It's not going to be an issue. Yeah. I mean, Dunn has the size to guard too, so it's it's not an issue of whether or not they can be on the floor together. I just think that it, it's really going to hurt their offensive efficiency when they're out there at times, depending on, on the matchups. I mean, maybe they'll just be too dominant athletically and they'll be able to kind of get to the, to the racket at will, depending on how, how Dunn adjusts and, and how he plays off the ball. But uh, you know, I would have gone Murray. I, w- I would have probably gone healed over Dunn, just given the other defenders currently on the the T wolves. I, I don't necessarily know if getting another lockdown defender was, was the top should have been the top priority there. But um, yeah, I mean, I think they, they can play together. I don't think it's going to be their optimal lineup though. So who starts then if they do keep Rubio, I mean, you can't really bring him off the bench at this point. I, I feel like that would be... I don't know if Rubio or how he would feel about that. I think Dunn being the rookie is kind of the the easier play from a PR, you know, ego management perspective. But at the same time, this is a guy you just took fifth overall. I don't think you draft him to be your, your backup long-term. I mean, Rubio is signed for at least two more years, I believe, maybe three uh, so it's not really a point guard and waiting situation. I mean, whether they address it this off season or not, it's a situation that's going to keep coming up. Yeah, no, I, I think they'll probably go into the year with with Rubio being the starter. Wouldn't surprise me if they finished year finished the year with Dunn being the starter. I think you'll you'll see both of them be on uh, be on the court at the end of games. Sometimes, sometimes you'll see Rubio be on the bench at the end of games. Sometimes, so uh, it's going to be more intriguing to kind of see how they finish rather than how they start. Because I, I definitely think that Dunn being the rookie gives them the easy kind of cop out of having him be the guy coming off the bench. So Buddy Heald goes six to New Orleans. This seemed like kind of a no brainer for them. I, you know, I think they could have gone Jamal Murray as well, but it, it seems like they had their eye on Heald uh, the whole time, and we're obviously happy to see him fall down to six. Um, I mean, not a ton to say about this one. Eric Gordon's contract is up; he'll most likely be gone. Tyreek Evans, Drew Holiday still under contract through next season. Um, but I mean, I think he'll, I think he said after, after the pick that rookie of the year is what he's going for next year. And, uh, you know, not, not that all these guys aren't going for that, but I think that's a realistic possibility because he's going to play a ton and he should have a ton of shots for this team. I don't think it's a realistic possibility. I think it's going to be Simmons or Ingram. I think it's Simmons is going to have a hard time not winning it. Yeah. I mean, it's. It, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think that you look at points per game and that's usually a big time determining factor. So I, I could see, you know, Ingram maybe averaging 20 points a game. Oh, I mean, on that team, he might, <laughs> I, I think know, he's man. the go-to option right away. Is he? Uh, D'Angelo Russell? I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's like a less, points per game I think it's a, a less play. than, it's a less than 5% chance that it's not Simmons or Ingram that wins it. I think Simmons has – I mean, Simmons is going to do so much points, rebounds, assists. I think his numbers are going to be huge for probably what's going to be a bad team. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing is, like, Buddy Heald, could, is it realistic for him to play better than Devin Booker played last year? Like, probably not a ton better than that. And Booker received how many first-place votes? Zero for Rookie of the Year. And part of that is just how good Carl Towns was. But 
I mean, I, I don't know. I think you are right that even if Field has a pretty solid year, there's going to be one or two guys ahead of him that, that like are Simmons and Ingram would both have to miss yeah. like 15 plus games. Right. And you get the you kind of get the Andrew Luck effect, too, with Simmons, where it's his award to lose. You know, like Heald's going to have to play his way into rookie of the year, whereas Simmons will have to play his way out of it. Right. Um, Jamal Murray at seven. We both like Jamal Murray a ton. Uh, wouldn't have been a surprise to see him go anywhere three through six. But um, I mean, if you're Denver, this is kind of an ideal scenario, too, right? Yeah, I mean, any, I mean, Denver was probably going to be the team that got the best value out of that that three through eight range because they were going to have their pick of a forward and a guard pretty much, and then that's kind of the way it played out. Uh, I think that he's a great fit for the Nuggets because I, I'm not a big Moutier fan, and Murray can play with the ball, so I think that they can go to certain lineups where – Moody is just not on the court and, and Murray's kind of you know, taking the ball up and, and kind of running things, uh, initiating the offense. So I think that that's, that's a great fit. He also kind of has uh, some of the, like his game kind of meshes well with, with Moody A's, I guess they have, they've opposite strengths and weaknesses, I think. So uh, yeah, really good, really good day for, for Denver overall. Yeah. They go and get Malik Beasley at number 19. They get, Hernan Gomez uh, at 15. So, yeah, quite a haul in, in the top 19 for Denver without having to make any kind of trades. The question is, where does Murray fit in right away? I mean, Denver is kind of the Western Conference equivalent of Boston in some ways to me, where it's hard to really pinpoint anywhere on this roster where you see a glaring need, and yet they're a non-playoff team. They just have a lot of very good players, but no real great players. You got Moutier at the one. You got Will Barton. Uh, you got Gallinari coming back from injury. You got Wilson Chandler coming back from injury. Gary Harris is still there. Um, I mean, where does Jamal Murray fit in? I, I think he probably sees most of his minutes as Moutier's backup. It's hard to really see him just kind of kicking Gary Harris out of there after the year he had. Uh, maybe initially he's he comes off the bench. To me, I don't, I. I don't know why you would. I think you have to view him as your long-term shooting guard. If you if you view Moody as your long-term point guard, I think you have to view Murray as your long-term starting shooting guard. I, I like him more than Harris and Barton long-term. I think Barton's uh, a prototypical off-the-bench scorer. I think Harris is kind of a tweener. Uh, I don't think he starts on a good team. You know, I, I think I think it's kind of obvious how that's going to play out over over the season as long as Murray kind of. Uh, develops as expected i think he plays himself into that starting role yeah it's going to be interesting because i think denver might be a borderline playoff team this year if they can stay healthy and you know maybe they work a trade or two this offseason to to free up some room in that front court but you know they lose dj augustine um they still have jameer nelson but i mean he's entering his age i think 34 season they're really not going to be clearing out any minutes for him so i mean what we probably see a three guard rotation um, you know, with Murray, with Barton, uh, and, and with Moody, I guess four guard, if you want to throw Gary Harris into there too. And I think if you look at those four, Murray's really the only one that can play both of those spots. So that should benefit him quite a bit. Yeah. I think, yeah, their lack of backup depth behind yeah. Moody is going to help him get, you know, probably over mm-hmm. 25 minutes a game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we already talked about Chris at eight, Jakob Pertl at nine to Toronto. Um, I don't want to talk that much about about Jakob Pertl, but this does. This was a 
a value pick and a need pick, I guess, for Toronto. I mean, this is a roster that if they bring back DeRozan, they're going to gear up to make another run at Cleveland. You know, hard to imagine that they, you know, that they're really able to to clear that mountain, I guess. But if there's one positional, you know, weakness that they've had over these last four or five years, it's been the power forward spot. I don't know that Pirtle immediately starts alongside Valanciunas just for spacing reasons, but this is a team that also started Luis Scola for 76 games last year. Right. And Valanciunas is a guy that hasn't, has never really gotten the minutes that people kind of have expected him to get. So this isn't a guy that, you know, is, you can bank on like 36 minutes a game from. I think I think it's a good situation for Pirtle to kind of develop behind Valanciunas. It kind of gives them some flexibility in case uh, Pirtle really becomes a bit more than they expected than they could. They can move one of those guys, but it definitely gives them a major upgrade in terms of what they were playing behind Valanciunas last year and versus, versus what they'll get in Pirtle. Yeah, I think outside of the top eight, this was – ideally where where Pirtle would land from a, from a fit perspective number 10 you you texted me this afternoon ahead of the podcast and said we're limiting our thon maker talk to five minutes i think that seems reasonable that's probably longer than i would have wanted to go anyway well i i didn't know i i'm fine going well under five minutes on <laughs> thon but uh so I, there's no I, minimum? I, I thought there was a scenario where we'd end up oh no, no i did i did a, a buckskeball pod a couple of days ago okay. and got all my Okay. My thon, good, good. my thon maker takes. So that's out. where you can all go if you want to hear yeah. Nick talk about thon maker right. for lot 20, of thon maker thirty talk. minutes. It was like forty minutes. Forty minutes of um, thon maker talk. Yeah, but number <laughs> ten thon maker. This was the easily the shock I think of the of the the top half of the first round at least, and probably the entire draft. Um, the day you know the night I guess before the draft, the morning of the draft. There's these reports that he's not actually nineteen. He might be twenty two. He might be twenty three. And the evidence is pretty damning the more you look into it. Um, but part of me thinks, you know, these teams, if some random guy on Reddit thinks that Thon Maker's 23, I would like to think that the Milwaukee Bucks have at least entertained the possibility that he might not be 19. I think they kind of knew. Uh, you know, I, I certainly don't think they anyone knows or they knew with any certainty what age he is. But I think they were aware of these age concerns and they were kind of set on taking him no matter what. Yeah, I think it's it's a big swing for sure. Uh, uh, yes, there's there's a lot of, you know, after the top eight. I mean, there's a lot of picks where I'm just kind of scratching my head, but it, I, it's kind of a well, that's not what I would have done, but it's not a what the heck were they thinking? Like, right. unless you're talking about the Kings, yeah. uh, that one I still <laughs> I think you can you can legitimately be be asking that question. Yep. But I mean, a- after the top eight, you could either really roll the dice on a guy for, for upside who had a, a big big chance of busting out or you know, I mean washing out of the league in, in a few years or you could take like a very safe you know seventh man type of player and there wasn't really any in between there so the Bucks obviously wanted to to take a big swing Thon Maker I mean I think you could argue he had the most upside on the board there I think John Hammond kind of fancies himself uh, a genius at, at times when it, when he kind of looks back on that, that Giannis Antetokounmpo pick, and I think he might have wanted to try to, to duplicate that magic here. Uh, it feels I, like there might be going back to the well one too many times. Yeah, I, I think that they there were better options. It's kind of a heat check pick. <laughs> it, was, it was an absolute heat check pick. I think but, that that was a general manager that just really kind of liked – the process he'd followed in previous drafts and was looking, was looking, was looking, looking for this draft. Uh, 
I just don't think I, I don't person to me like the the big red flag on Maker is the way he runs and kind of moves. I I just don't think he moves the way that makes me think he's going to be around for a while personally. Uh, I actually read a comment that that kind of backs that up a little bit um, on, on Buxketball.com. Another plug for that um, on a piece that, that somebody wrote just kind of recapping the pick. Uh, the big concern was that he's tall and he has skinny knees and uh, LeBron James, quote, signature move of diving into other players' knees to intentionally injure them. Uh, you know, Thon Maker being so tall and so skinny makes him an easy target for that. Yeah, I I just think he's the lateral quickness uh i i don't know how he's it's it's just kind of unsafe really well, defensively right, to have him outside of the the paint and i think I just, it looks really good against high school competition you know like he I, I think he he's certainly an elite athlete and that showed you know with the measurements and the, and the agility testing at the combine but you know at at that size you can only be so agile you know i think it in, it almost it almost seems too good to be true you know to the point where you know, as he gets older, how's that going to work? Like, can his can his legs really hold up? He doesn't have the the muscular structure uh, of Giannis, and and certainly Giannis was, you know, rail thin coming into the league, but he was he was bigger than Thon Maker, and his frame was just a little bit different. You know, Giannis looked like he could add muscle. Maker certainly can add muscle, but it, he just he has a little bit more of that Durant build uh, than Giannis, I think, ever did. Well, and Giannis just was a, he moved very fluidly. Yes. I mean, he kind of, he still moves like a guard, obviously playing point guard mm-hmm. last year. Uh, Maker just moves like a very herky center. Uh, you know, maybe I was kind of saying like there, there's a chance that maybe three years from now, he's kind of like Kassan Whiteside maybe. And, that, and that's kind of the player you get with him. I, I don't know. It, I, it's tough because he's not he's a dominant defender against Canadian high schoolers, you know, but I, I don't think at 215 pounds, I, I just don't see how that translates. I mean, obviously he has the height, he has a leaping ability, but I think he's going to get pushed around. Yeah. There's, I think there, there is more made in like today about, you know, what limitations guys have if, if they're not uh, incredibly strong or they don't look incredibly strong based on the way the game's played today. I think that there are, or instances where that that can can get overrated. I think that got overrated in some cases uh, with people talking about Brandon Ingram. Like I, I don't see his perceived lack of strength being a big issue. I, I don't necessarily think it has to be a, a debilitating factor for Maker, but I think he he just has a long long way to go. And yeah. I think we've maybe hit our five minute I mark. I think I think we have. But no, I, just to to wrap your point on that, I think you were right. You know, they they had a choice between either getting you know a decent rotation player swinging for the fences on a pick like this. You know, it's not like Jamal Murray had fallen and was sitting there and they passed on him to grab Thon Maker. Obviously, you would, you know, if you're a Bucks fan, you would prefer that they try to trade down there's, and make that pick, but yeah. I don't think I'm sure they checked into that. There's no there's no player that went after him that I would confidently say is ever going to be considered a guy that should be starting on an Not NBA even Jonte Murray. <laughs> We'll get to him. We'll get to um, him. But no, I mean, talking about him and, and Deontay Davis and even Scal falling, I mean, Labissier and Davis especially, uh, and even Murray, I guess, as the as the draft process came to a close, were all considered to be options, you know, at, for Milwaukee at 10, um, you know, and even for Orlando when they held the 11th pick. And I mean, how surprised were you that, you know, usually a player, especially Deontay Davis is the one that stuck out to me, falling all the way to the second round. 
yeah, how 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 do you not try to move up into the twenties even and, and grab a guy like that? I mean, it, it's just surprising, I guess, that you know prognosticators, ourselves included, were so wrong about you know where teams were on Deontay Davis. I mean, this is a guy who was invited to the green room. I don't think anyone expected him to slip beyond fourteen and fifteen, uh, and then he ends up at Memphis at thirty one. I just I gotta assume that there were some major uh, makeup concerns in terms of work ethic and and that kind of thing uh you know stuff that would go beyond you know smoking weed or, or anything right. like that i think that there's probably something there that we, we don't really know uh yeah it was just interesting to me to see like the clippers take bryce johnson over him mm-hmm. you know i mean for a guy who you know if you're the clippers sitting there at 25 a week ago well, you probably thought he'd be gone you know 10 15 picks earlier but uh the <laughs> the clippers they're they're drafting for for this upcoming season. Sure. You know? I mean, maybe I mean, that's a bad example, but I don't know. Like Toronto at 27, you're choosing between, you know, projected lottery pick Deontay Davis or Pascal Sikham, and you go with you go with Pascal. Yeah, no, that's a uh, that shows that shows. I think there's something beyond what we know. See, I think it's it's the the motor is is kind of underrated. Uh, you know, even. Even Pascal, I remember him at the the combine. I mean, he had he had a crazy motor, uh, and and there's a lot of guys that that went ahead of went ahead of Davis that that at least at least you know they're trying on every play, and at least you know that they uh, are going to be able to fill a role for you and and kind of stay in their lane and and put in the the work uh, in between games. Whereas uh, that might have been a question with Davis. Did you see the Vine uh, that I believe the NBA account tweeted out of Davis right after the pick? Each prospect went, it was some some kind of promotion, and they, like, signed a camera lens, you know, and most guys were thrilled to be drafted and, you know, would sign it and give a thumbs up or, you know, number one, something. Like, Davis just had the saddest look I had ever seen on maybe anyone's face ever mm-hmm. and just, like, sulkingly kind of signs it and kind of slumped away. Uh, yeah, I don't think he expected to fall to 31. The biggest uh, non-draft story, I should say, of the night, OKC um, gets DeMontis Sabonis at number 11 for Orlando, or from Orlando, I should say. They get Victor Oladipo in that deal. They get the rights to Ursan Ilyasova. All that for Serge Ibaka. Um, Where did you stand on this trade as far as who, if anyone, won or lost? I thought the Thunder won Yeah, uh, pretty easily there. Just you you factor in that, Ibaka is going to be a free agent after this upcoming season. Um, you you throw in the fact that their best lineup, I think you could make a case, doesn't have Ibaka on the court. If you put Duran at the four and we saw how dynamic he could be in the playoffs, I'm, I'm sure that they're not going to do that a, a ton in the regular season just because they don't want to have him dealing with the beating that it, it would take to guard fours all year long. But in the playoffs their best lineup is probably Adams at the five Duran at the four and then, you know, Westbrook Oladipo, you know, whoever you want to throw in there at the, at the three. So I get it. I, I think that Oladipo and Westbrook, they're maybe a little too similar in terms of how efficient are they going to be from three point range, but just that, that crazy amount of athleticism and motor on defense and in transition, I think is going to be, kind of kind of ridiculous and even in the half court if you have like how many teams have even one guy that could 
make a valiant attempt to stay in front of Westbrook or Oladipo off the dribble. I mean, you, you definitely don't have two guys on, on many teams. So just they can they can run just garbage offense where they just kind of swing it around and somebody takes it and just drives and it's going to work most of the time. So I think we can't underestimate what Ibaka brings or brought, I should say, from a spacing perspective. You know, I mean, what what is the lineup now? Like, I, I agree with you. I think in the playoffs and crunch time, they're going to go Durant at the four. We saw that work really well in the playoffs this past year. But, you know, do they start Cantor and Adams up front? Do they start Sabonis up front? Um, I'm with you. I don't think Durant probably wants to play at the four too often. And I don't think they really want him taking the physical toll of, of playing the four. Well, they can, you know, he's not going to play the four much in the in the regular season. Uh, it, it, their roster might look a little different come playoff time next year. I mean, they they showed obviously that they like Andre Robertson more than anyone really likes Andre Robertson. So he could play the three with Oladipo Westbrook. I mean, that's that's a devastating defensive lineup. I mean, Durant was showing. I mean, he he played like an All NBA first team All Defense guy in the playoffs at the four Steven Adams well above average defensive center and if you go you go uh Robertson Oladipo Westbrook I mean that's that's kind of ridiculous the spacing issues are going to be tough because none of those three guys below Durant is an above average three-point shooter but uh they're just raw athleticism and ability to get out in transition might make up for that I think that there's going to be a lot of um a lot of canter and you know Sabonis I think is ready to play right away I, I don't know how many minutes Ilyasova gets I, I feel like there's he, a caveat too where I think if they renounce Ilyasova's rights right. before a certain date which it's kind of they unclear. can wave they can waive him yeah and it still I counts think it's, for nobody's really sure if they're going to waive him or not mm-hmm. um, I, I think they that's in play uh yeah I mean you could do worse than than Arsene Ilyasova as kind of a you know 15 to 17 minutes a night floor space for mm-hmm. um but no I, I think i think oklahoma city was the clear winner uh don't really know what orlando was thinking with that deal i mean i think they they got the best player in the they, trade but they he's just gone after next year well they just desperately wanted a a rim protector next to vucevic and you know, i wonder if that regime there is kind of under a mandate where they have to make the playoffs this year they obviously, you know, they couldn't really trade Alfred Payton for anything, and they obviously didn't like playing Payton and Oladipo together for very obvious reasons. Uh, Hazonia obviously kind of steps in here as, as a guy that's going to see a ton of minutes based on this. They can can re-sign um, what's-his-face. Fournier. Uh, they can re-sign Fournier, and he, he kind of fits in a bit better now. Aaron Gordon at the three, I think, is doable against like five or six lineups in the league. Probably not doable. That's against what I don't really like about a good chunk of them. I'm right. I'm generally in favor of playing big guys at smaller positions, you know, to kind of get that advantage. But I think I mean he played so well at the end of the year at the four. I just don't see why you kind of yeah. hinder that development now. I do think it it definitely you run the risk of screwing up Gordon's development if he's playing too many minutes at the three out of position. Uh, they they should just do something where they're you know they always have two of Gordon uh, Vucevic and Ibaka on the court and that way I think that they would all really kind of flourish together but then you have to bring one of those guys off the bench maybe and I maybe don't know. Vucevic I mean he came <laughs> off the bench after the injury last year but I think you kind of had that built-in excuse um, which you know, I mean Ibaka you can't bring off the bench I think I think Frank Vogel 
plays a big part in this trade yeah. too because I think he's always really really valued having that that rim protector uh, to kind of that Roy bait, Hibbert. Bait that Jan Mahimi Roy Hibbert type and Serge Ibaka is obviously yep. better than both of those guys in that department um so I think that that played a role it's it's going to be interesting I, I just think that they that's a team that really couldn't afford to lose talent and I think that in Oladipo Sabonis for Ibaka you're taking an overall talent downgrade on your roster uh, because of that yeah I mean they they were going to have to make a decision on Oladipo next summer um, you know with his rookie deal expiring so basically to me this says well and this also frees them up like next year's free agent class right. is going to be insane and this this frees them up to to go after True. one or two of those guys right so I mean basically if you're just looking at it would it have been more fair to just swap Ibaka for Oladipo does does OKC do that deal or does, does Sabonis will push it over the top? Because for me, I don't like giving up the rights to Sabonis if I'm Orlando. Well, I think you you know how Durant feels, and you know that 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 the Thunder, like the court, like Durant and Westbrook, have always been kind of if somebody doesn't want to be here, then get them get them out of here. And I think that everyone kind of knew Ibaka was unhappy with his role. I think that they they obviously don't make this trade without knowing pretty. With, with with a good deal of confidence that Durant's going to be happy because of this trade. I think that they wanted to get Ibaka out of town, and they just got more than I think a lot of people expect that they'd be able to get for him. Yeah, great deal by OKC. Last question on this. Do they they claim that they made this deal independent of Durant? Um, I think we probably don't believe that that's the case. Well, I I think it's it can be both. Well, what I was going like, to ask is, do they make this deal even if Durant, even if they thought Durant wasn't coming back, would you still I make think this so. deal? I think so. I think so, too. I think it almost makes more sense to do that. Well, yeah, and it it kind of you're not as uh, tied to what three guys decide to do next year. Assuming Durant signs a one year deal with an opt out, you could be left with with none of those guys at the end of uh, at the end of next season. And this way, they at least have some pieces that are young enough that if they need to go into rebuilding mode, they can, and, and they have some starting pieces there. Uh, I think they do this trade regardless, but I think the fact that they knew Durant wouldn't mind them moving Ibaka for another impact player uh, definitely helped matters. Poor uh, Mitch McGarry. I mean, is he ever going to get a chance? No, I don't think so. I think Sabonis probably moves ahead of him uh, in this rotation. Not that you know he was on the fast track to, to ever starting for OKC, but looking less and less likely that he's going to be an impact piece for them. Um, so Atlanta makes the trade. Um, gets the number 12 pick from Utah. Utah ends up with George Hill. Uh, Jeff Teague ends up back home uh, in Indianapolis with the Pacers. And Atlanta grabs number 12 here. They go Torian Prince from Baylor at 21. They went DeAndre Bembry with their own pick uh, out of St. Joe's, a guy that we both like. We saw him uh, at the Combine. Which of these two guys do you think Bembry and Prince has a better chance of, of being more of an impact guy as a rookie? Prince... Prince as a rookie for sure. I think he's he's NBA ready uh, as you know at least like a know, seventh man. I think he kind of fills that Demar Carroll role, uh, which kind of it, as soon as they did that that move uh, that trade with Utah and ended up going with Prince, I, it definitely didn't surprise me. No. It made a lot of sense because he kind of fits exactly what they look for. Uh, you know they're not they're not a team that 
that switches everything, although Prince is capable of doing that, but he's also the type of guy that I think is is going to be good at like fighting through stuff defensively, definite role player. I think that you know, in this in this range he definitely fills the like low upside but but fairly high floor mm-hmm. player and I think Bembry's just kind of a you know, two years down the road he might slot in as a, a guy that can start for you, but I, I do think he's got some developing to do. Yeah, if they lose Ken Bazemore in free agency this summer, which seems likely, especially if they, you know, if they have to pay up and then try to bring Horford back or, you know, Dwight Howard's being rumored. Um, I think Prince, you know, is maybe their seventh or eighth man next season. And then you have both Cephalosha and Kyle Corver's contracts are up after this season. I think at that point is, you know, they hope DeAndre Bembry is ready, maybe not to start, but to fill the role that you know, that you maybe have Torian Prince in this year as your as your seventh or eighth man, you know, your second guard off the bench. So I like what Atlanta did. You know, neither of these guys are crazy high upside, but both very low floor or very high floors, uh, I should say. And I know we both love what DeAndre Bremby brings as a cutter. Yeah, I think a lot of offenses would, would be kind of licking their chaps to have a cutter like him mm-hmm. slot into the mix. Unbelievable cutter. <laughs> Uh, probably a better cutter than just about anyone on that roster currently. So, I mean, obviously you could say that about most rosters, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just one of the, you know, a top five cutter in his class coming out of high school um, and, and something that translated to the college game as well. Um, this is one 13 Sacramento. So the pick that they get um, from Phoenix as part of the Marquise Chris deal, Georgios Papianis, seven, two center out of Greece. Um, if the last name didn't tip you off to that one, what was this? This was the Thon Maker pick was a shock, but I think some people understood it. This pick was a shock, but no one still seems to understand it. Uh, you know, Vladdy likes his guys, you know. Uh, <laughs> really, we could just end the discussion there. Like, that's all yeah. you got to say. Yeah, I we can kind of move on to the next yep. one here. Vladdy likes his guys. 14, Denzel Valentine to Chicago. Maybe a little bit high for a guy who's, whose upside is questionable. But again, you know, you have the same question marks as you did, you know, the four picks prior to this. There weren't, you know, these, nobody had fallen, I guess, unless you really like Deontay Davis or, or Henry Ellenson. And this is a team that just took a power forward uh, around this range in last year's draft in Bobby Portis. So I like the Valentine pick. I mean, I think after the Derrick Rose trade, Chicago has to do something at point guard I don't know if you can go in to next season with your two point guards being Jose Calderon and Jerry and Grant I mean the the Knicks virtually did that last season uh and clearly it didn't work out if for some reason they don't bring in better help at point guard I I think maybe Valentine sees a little bit of time on the ball I mean he played a ton there at Michigan State but you know doesn't really have the the NBA point guard skill set good enough to initiate but you know not a guy you want playing 15 20 minutes a game there uh where does he slot in to, to you right away I mean, I think that they're, it's kind of a three-horse race uh, between Grant, Calderon, and Ballantyne for the the bulk of the minutes at the point guard position next year. I think it's probably a year away before you're willing to give him more than 15 minutes or, or so a game at the one. But, I mean, he kind of slots in as a, as a guy that can give you solid backup minutes at the two. I, I just think that they you know, they like, they, they don't mind when they're picking in this range, they don't mind going with the, the floor over ceiling guys. I think they kind of always do that. Uh, look at Doug McDermott. I mean, I think Valentine's kind of that guy in this class where you're, you're pretty confident that he'll, he'll be a good professional in, in the locker room and everything and give you solid minutes off the bench. 
Yeah, I like that pick a lot for Chicago. Um, 15, Hernan Gomez. We talked about him with the Nuggets. 16, Boston went with Gershon Yabusele. I'm not really going to pretend to know that I know a ton about him at this point. But 17 and 18, we had two guys who uh, were viewed leading up to the draft as potential lottery picks. They fall a little bit. Wade Baldwin goes 17 to Memphis. Uh, Henry Ellenson, 18 to Detroit. I think to me, these are both perfect fits and perfect situations for both guys. Yeah, I think that that gives both of them a pretty good shot of kind of learning on the, you know, behind some guys that are, that are a little bit better. Uh, Ellenson, I think, isn't going to play a ton next year. I think that they're they're deep enough at the four where, you know, he might play 15, 18 minutes a game and kind of continue to sort of develop as, as a guy that can create offense as well as, as shoot threes. Cause I, I don't think he's going to step in next year and, and shoot threes at a, at a very high clip. I think that that's going to be kind of a, a work in progress for him. Baldwin totally depends on what happens with Mike Connolly. I think the money seems to point that he would resign with Memphis, but I mean, if he wants to compete for anything in the, in the near future, he might go somewhere else. And if, if he leaves and they're kind of, forced to sort of look at it as as semi-rebuilding time and then Baldwin might get a bigger chunk of playing time yeah I think Baldwin could play both guard spots you know this is this Grizzlies team just renounced uh their team option on Lance Stevenson for next year so you know I think it, I don't know is Vince Carter still on the roster I think he is I think he's still under contract next year we got Tony Allen um I mean suddenly they're just they're just not deep really at all they they Mario Chalmers is a free agent um, you know, basically their entire team at the end of the year were 10 day non-guaranteed guys. So they're all kind of wiped away. Um, I think even if Conley's back, Baldwin is probably their, you know, their third guard Memphis, not being a huge free agent destination. It's really hard to imagine them, you know, if Conley does leave pulling in another top flight, uh, type of point guard, unless they want to give, give a shot to a guy like Rondo. Um, but no, I, I think Baldwin, you know, if it's, if not this year, then next year is when he really comes into his own. But I think if you look at guys outside the top 14, um, you know, who could have a pretty big impact in year one, Baldwin has to be near the top. Yeah. I, I think that there's, it, it's really, it's, it's time will tell on these guys outside the top eight. I mean, even a guy like Chris really don't know how he's going to contribute this season, but, uh, that was a really good value. I thought on Baldwin. Yeah, as far as Ellenson, um, yeah, I think the 15 to 17 minutes sounds about right. They have Marcus Morris. They have Tobias Harris. Um, yeah, I think Ellenson kind of settles in as the third guy behind both of them. Depends what they do in free agency, though. If they go out and get a guy like Ryan Anderson, all of a sudden Ellenson, you know, maybe he's only playing in 60, 65 games. Um, I mean, how NBA-ready do you think he is? Not very. I, I think he'd really struggle to guard anyone and – I just think he he's it's going to be such a different offensive scheme uh, based on what he's what he's accustomed to, where everything sort of flowed through him at Marquette. He's going to be a total role player at this level. I think it's just going to take a, a, quite a while for him to be solid on both ends if if he even ever gets there. Yeah, I think so much of that production at Marquette especially the scoring just came because he was on the ball so much. I mean, it's, he's never he's never going to be in a position. His where usage gonna, rate's going to be right. like what like a yeah i think 20 percent of what it was in college right. i think i think that might be a tough adjustment you know he didn't he wasn't playing basically a true four at marquette and he's bringing the ball up he's going off the dribble um you know i i just don't see him ever being in a position in the nba where a team's going to allow him to play like that 
pick that I do. We, do you want to talk about? Yeah, we're kind of the boring part of the first I, round, so it was jump around. I love. Well, I love the. We obviously touched on Denver. I love what they did with with Hernan Gomez and Beasley. Uh, really love what the Kings ended up getting with Malachi Richardson. Uh, yeah. I I know you're not as high. I, I just think this is a guy with, uh, you know, probably among the top five or so ceilings of the guys to go outside of the top eight. I think that there's some risk, but if at 22, I don't think there's really any risk. I think he at worst is going to be a good three and D guy. And you could really, I mean, if he's able to kind of find a, a, a fit as a really competent guy that can guard three positions, uh, do some interesting stuff off the dribble. I mean, he was really good at kind of finishing with contact in college, which I, I kind of like the way that that might translate for him in the NBA. He's got crazy length, uh, can shoot the three. I, I, I like that pick for the Kings quite a bit. Do you see him doing much right away? I mean, this is a team that traded Marco Bellinelli uh, right at the start of the draft to Charlotte to get that pick, which ended up being Malachi Richardson. They have Ben McLemore. I think we know they're not really sold on him. His contract, at, as it stands right now, would be up after next season. Um, Seth Curry is still around, but other than that, they really don't have much at the two. And you know, unless they go out and, and sign a guy or two this offseason, I think Richardson might play out of necessity. I mean, he's a sneak. I think he's a guy that you could see playing the you know rookie challenge or whatever they're calling that these days, just based on minutes, because obviously they're they shouldn't be high on Macklemore anymore obviously I don't think they are Seth Curry is not a guy that should be starting uh, Isaiah Cousins I think is even a, a bigger work in progress than than Richardson they want to make the playoffs but they just to me they don't have they're not making the playoffs. they don't have anyone at shooting guard where they should be thinking to themselves well this is the guy that's going to help us make the playoffs not not Richardson I mean I think you you're you have a just as good a shot of Richardson really f- clicking year one and helping you go on a run than than any of these kind of retreads has there ever been a team that's had this much trouble finding like capable players at one position i mean we talked about the raptors and power forward i guess okay well, and shooting yeah, guard has been an issue too but i mean my... stauskas jimmer fredette ben mcclemore i mean it, we really have to go back to what but they've never had they've never been able to get good players at really any position other than the cousins one which Fair. i think makes it when you're when you're drafting rookies and bringing them in and asking them to to be productive and you surround them with crappy point guards guys like Rudy Gay you know Cousins isn't a isn't a good teammate Olympic gold medalist Rudy Gay <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean I think that it's it's just a very tough situation unless you're just one of those guys that was going to make it no matter what situation you went to the the Kings is a situation where you're really fighting an uphill battle in terms of making it very true, and I, I misspoke. That was 2014 FIBA gold medalist uh, Rudy Gay, Dejounte Murray, a guy that you liked a ton. He was uh, high on your big board. He was he was higher up on mine, um, you know, than most. But I think you had him. Did, did he sneak into the top ten? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I had him number five behind uh, Bender and mm-hmm. and Jamal Murray. So, are you how giddy are you then that he that he fell to San Antonio? That was as seems to happen every draft, you know, as soon as that pick was made, it was, oh, of course, you know, of course San Antonio takes this guy. He's going to go there and be great. Well, you know, for instance, I I was probably not as confident or 
Kyle Anderson's a guy that I, I really loved when he came out of UCLA and he fell to the the Spurs and I thought that they crushed it with that pick. I didn't really like him as a super high ceiling guy the way I do Murray. I thought he was just going to be a very, very solid fit for that that team. That hasn't quite worked out. Um, you know, he hasn't gotten the minutes necessarily, but I think that I trust Pop to give guys minutes that they deserve, and so he has probably hasn't earned them. I think Murray, you know, he could still be a bust, but I think this gives him as good a shot as any to not be a bust, and they're not going to really ask anything of him until – two or three years down the road yeah I mean, how many nba games does he play in this year maybe 40 I, because the spurs get in a lot of blowout situations <laughs> yeah and they do that they do the thing where they rest the guys right. yeah and, so um, i guess if we're if he was playing on a non-alien the, NBA see franchise, that that position they're they're really weak there they are and so you I know mean, if they think Patty he's Mills, capable but. of coming in and giving them minutes then i think that they'll they'll play him mm-hmm. uh but yeah, I I would take yeah I don't I don't think he plays double digit minutes in more than like five games this year. All right, real quickly looking at the second round, um, did any picks stand out to you here? I was glad that the Bucks were able to get Malcolm Brogdon at thirty six. I think I would have loved him going anywhere. You know, it's really tough to look at that guy and say there's a team you know that couldn't use a, a physical you know really really high floor type of pick like that in the second round. Uh, Check Diallo to New Orleans, I thought was was a solid get there. Tyler Eulis to Phoenix. Um, you know, back when Phoenix owned the 28th pick prior to the Chris deal, you know, I think a lot of people thought Eulis might land there. They end up getting their man in the second round. Um, Joel Ballenboy uh, out of Weber State, a guy who played really well at the Combine, ends up in Utah uh, near his home. And then Ben Bentel went to Boston uh, at 51. He was a, a personal favorite of mine. I don't love him landing in Boston because I just don't know how many roster spots they're going to have available. Probably very few. Yeah, I I thought that was really good value on on pretty much all those guys you touched on. Uh, yeah, that's not a good landing spot for Bentel in terms of producing anytime soon. I thought to me Diallo uh, at thirty three was a steal. I think taking Ulis in the second round makes a ton of sense just in terms of you know you know I think he's a guy that's going to be an NBA player. I don't know what the role is going to be, but. I think you're at least getting that in the second round. I actually kind of like Patrick McCaw more than I like Brogdon for the Bucks, um, in terms of just an upside pick that could pan out a few years down the road. I love Onuaku to the Rockets. I think that kind of gives them uh, another sort of dynamic defense-first big man to go behind Clint Capella. And, yeah, I mean, I think that there were t- at least two or three of these guys in the second round are going to have – similar or better careers than you know half of the guys that went in that that first round mm-hmm. so uh you know there's definitely gonna we're gonna look back and there's gonna be a, a few steals here just because from nine to like 40 on my board i wouldn't have been surprised really if that shook out in any any which way no for sure i mean even demetrius jackson all the way down at 45 um i remember when he got drafted i remember thinking like has he really not been called yet i mean i think it was a given that at least in my mind that he would go somewhere in the first round um and he falls all the way to 45 another guy that went to boston you know it's never bad to get drafted but if you're him you almost would rather i think have your pick as a as an undrafted free agent Mm -hmm. and kind of have a little bit of a say at least as to maybe where you have a better chance to earn your way onto a roster i also love uh jake layman going to the magic i think he's kind of one of the guys i'm higher on than most in terms of someone i think is going to have a good solid seven eight year 
NBA career just because he can shoot and he's he's more athletic than I think. I think he actually. I think he was actually traded traded to the uh, Trailblazers on draft night. Oh, okay. I don't know if that really matters for how you evaluate. No, him, I, I think I mean, he's going to be. I, like I think he's going to be more. fine wherever. Yeah. I, I like that even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's. Yeah, he's. I think he's going to be a solid guy for a while. Um, all right, last thing: the defending champion Cavaliers um, traded, I believe, or bought their way into the second round. Took Kay Felder, five uh, nine, might be generous uh, for the height listing on him, but big time scorer, big time stat guy at the college level. Um, is there any chance that that he makes an impact for them, assuming they maybe lose Delavadova this off season? Not this year. I think he's. I think they want him to be LeBron's Norris Cole from okay. Miami, but Norris Cole was like six inches taller. Norris Cole was a maybe not that many good defender. Norris Cole was a good defender. I mean, I don't Similar see how college I don't see how Felder is going to be able to yeah. be up at all. Um, He's just like a very know. very mini Eric Bledsoe. That might have he might have been this draft's Chabaz Muhammad in terms of he was given the green light, <laughs> given the green light by the GM. That's very possible. <laughs> or, or you mean Napier? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I guess you could yeah. compare him to to Shabazz Muhammad. Um, all right, any any closing thoughts? As my voice crackles out on us. No, I'm just excited for the free agent signings to yeah. commence and the trades to also hopefully pick up a little bit here. Are you going to go to summer league at all? No. Officially out. Officially out. Officially out. All right, we're going to be in Vegas during <laughs> summer league, but um, you know other other opportunities. I'm too cool for that, man. 